Section 11 of the English Restoration and Louis the Fourteenth by Osmond Airy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 8 Triumph of Anglican Church Relations with the Continent. Number 1 Persecution of Dissent the extent of the reaction which had followed far more than it caused the restoration was disclosed when the new parliament met on may eighth sixteen sixty one its composition was ominous to the presbyterians a parliamentary movement had become a royalist revel there now appeared in a house of more than five hundred members but fifty-six of the old majority the great mass of the members were prepared to go all lengths in favour of the church and clarendon in his opening speech looked forward with confidence to their providing that neither king laws nor parliament may be so used again for a time the existence of an assembly actuated by such a spirit was a source of the greatest danger the decrees of the convention parliament were in the eye of the law illegal until confirmed by a constitutionally appointed body among them was the indemnity bill and there now appeared a serious prospect of some tampering with this the primary condition of the restoration settlement fortunately charles was firm to this part at least of his engagements his earliest message to the house and the need of such a message marks the danger was a distinct refusal to pass any bill whatsoever until this act should be put beyond dispute the commons then applied themselves to repairing the breaches of the constitution having imposed the taking of the sacrament according to the prescribed liturgy on all their members they first ordered the solemn league and covenant to be burnt by the hangmen they then restored the bishops to their seats in the house of lords a step to which charles was personally opposed as tending to raise a serious obstacle to the accomplishment of his desire for toleration of the catholics an act was next passed strengthening the law of high treason and rendering incapable of public employment any one who should affirm the king to be a heretic or a papist the long parliament was declared to be dissolved and the assertion that there could be any legislative authority in either or both houses without the king was rendered a penal offence parliament then in the full tide of loyalty declaring it to be their duty to undeceive the people who have been poisoned with an opinion that the militia of the nation was in themselves or in their representatives in parliament handed back to the king the entire control of the sea and land forces with sixteen forty one in their minds they passed a bill to limit the right of petitioning and declared that no war offensive or defensive could be lawfully levied against the king to whom also the power of veto was restored at one point however they stopped short there was not the slightest intention of making the crown independent the convention parliament had already given charles a life revenue of one million two hundred thousand pounds it was well known that this was insufficient but there was no proposal to increase it on november twentieth sixteen sixty one the houses reassembled in a state of great excitement rumours had been spread of presbyterian plots in various parts of the country and even without this incentive 
the majority were eager for a drastic expression of anglican supremacy the chief seats of presbyterian feeling were the corporations of towns and it was these bodies which in many cases returned members to parliament by the corporation act december nineteenth sixteen sixty one this source of presbyterian influence was swept away at a blow and a cogent argument offered to weak-kneed presbyterians to reconcile themselves with the dominant church three conditions were declared essential for admission into any municipality the renunciation of the solemn league and covenant the acceptance of an oath denying the lawfulness of taking arms against the king and especially of that traitorous position of taking arms by his authority against his person or against those commissioned by him and finally the taking the sacrament according to the english church the bill passed in the commons without difficulty in the lords however it met with considerable opposition at the hands of ashley cooper now lord ashley and other noblemen of the old presbyterian party helped in this instance by the lord treasurer southampton the determination of the commons was increased by the knowledge that charles himself in spite of his concurrence in this act was opposed to stringency toward the dissenters his financial necessities gave them the complete control of the situation and they now used their power to wring from him a personal declaration of allegiance to the church on march first sixteen sixty two he addressed the house complaining of the unworthy suspicions against him declaring himself as zealous for the church and as much in love with the book of common prayer as could be wished and expressed his desire that the house should pass an act of uniformity at once he was supplied with money and was then called upon to fulfil his part of the bargain the corporation act had practically destroyed presbyterianism in the state the act of uniformity now destroyed it in the church it first declared that no one might hold a living in the church unless he had before st bartholomew's day august twenty fourth sixteen sixty two publicly read the service from the new prayer book which had been undergoing revision by convocation in the sense most objectionable to the presbyterians and had declared his unfeigned assent and consent to everything contained therein to express in the strongest manner the exclusiveness of the church and to stamp her with that national and political character which she has ever since held all connection with the protestant churches of the continent was broken off by the clause which forbade any one whose orders had been obtained abroad to continue in his benefice or to administer the sacraments without reordination by the bishop the act further provided that all incumbents holders of university offices schoolmasters and private tutors should in addition to taking the oaths prescribed by the corporation act renounce the covenant promise to conform to the liturgy and to endeavour no change or alteration of government either in church or state the same tests omitting only the renunciation of the covenant were imposed upon all the military forces of the kingdom and upon the lords lieutenants and deputy lieutenants in the case of the clergy no circumstance of aggravation was omitted the day named for submission had been chosen with rare malice the great tithes their chief support would since they were not due until michaelmas 
passed to the new incumbents and no provision being made for the maintenance of the deprived ministers as had been made in the case of the anglican clergy ejected under the commonwealth they would be thrown on the world destitute of support a still more flippant disregard for justice was shown in the fact that as the revised prayer book was not published until st bartholomew's eve the presbyterians were called upon to express their unfeigned assent and consent to everything contained in a book they had not yet seen from their fellow dissenters the presbyterians received no encouragement the catholics and members of the protestant sects except in the case of a few independents held no benefices and were therefore untouched by the act nor had they any cause to love the presbyterians whose hand had formerly been heavy upon them moreover they were anxious about their own fate and they might well hope that if the lot of the presbyterians were made the same as their own their large numbers must before long lead to a general measure of toleration they found hope in an unexpected quarter both charles and clarendon were opposed to the rapid growth of the persecuting spirit the former because of the obstacles it placed in the way of favouring the catholics clarendon from fear of disturbance and revolt on march seventeenth the chancellor endeavoured in vain to introduce a clause enabling the king to dispense with the provisions of the act declaring that it was recommended by charles himself the act being passed and parliament being prorogued charles in compliance with the petition of the presbyterians which was supported by monk and manchester declared his intention of suspending its execution for three months now however he was deserted by clarendon who while glad to see a parliamentary recognition of the dispensing power would not as a constitutional lawyer favour a claim to an autocratic use of it by the crown and he only gave way when charles told him that his own honour was pledged to this course the vehement opposition of the bishops especially of sheldon the representative of the irreconcilable section of the church speedily convinced charles of the impossibility of success and the design was put aside the spectacle was presented of the presbyterians who usually placed the law above the prerogative calling upon the king to suspend the law by an unconstitutional use of power and of the bishops generally the staunch upholders of the prerogative resolutely opposing its exercise the presbyterians were determined to refuse the terms of uniformity they adhered to their determination in spite of liberal offers from the king of bishoprics and deaneries on sunday august seventeenth from all the presbyterian pulpits in the city the clergy who refused to conform preached their farewell sermons to crowded and sympathetic congregations and on the next sunday no fewer than two thousand clergymen the best of the great presbyterian body retired into voluntary poverty and professional exile henceforth presbyterianism was the creed not of a large part of the english church but of a dissenting sect the church of england had taken its final shape the shape which it holds to this day we get a glimpse of the difficulty of carrying out this act of uniformity and of its results in one part at least of the country from the reports of seth ward then bishop of exeter to sheldon 
in december sixteen sixty three he tells the archbishop that at least fourteen of the justices of the peace of devonshire alone are accounted errant presbyters and some of them esteemed as dangerous as any men within the diocese those therefore in exeter who have obeyed the laws have been checked and discouraged for their labour some of the most populous places had stood void he says ever since the passing of the act and complaints were almost universal either that they had no minister or a pitiful ignorant one or the minister hath complained of want of sufficient maintenance one minister whom he had put in prison had told him that after his removal he stayed some months to see whether any one would supply his place but at length finding that no man was put in his stead and that the people went off some to atheism and debauchery others to sectarianism for he is a presbyterian he resolved to adventure to gather his flock again and he had gathered a flock of fifteen hundred or two thousand on sunday last when he was taken from the pulpit and brought away number two first connection with france royal marriages sale of dunkirk the restoration of monarchy in england had been accomplished without the intervention of a single foreign power but scarcely was the crisis over before charles and the various continental governments sought to take mutual advantage of the change charles's object was a simple one it was to get money the revenue settled upon him by parliament was quite inadequate to the various calls of government the payment of debts incurred abroad the satisfaction of royalist demands and the expenses of his more disreputable pleasures still less was it sufficient to enable him to gratify the desire which he fitfully entertained throughout his reign of ruling as louis the fourteenth ruled of establishing an intelligent despotism independent of parliament founded upon armed force and the sympathy of dissent which might enable him to carry out his promised toleration of catholicism he determined therefore to secure his freedom from control by other means and this determination however unsteadily maintained is the keynote of his foreign policy throughout the reign his first application was to the dutch and from them as the price of an alliance he demanded two millions the renewal however of the navigation act of sixteen fifty one by which their carrying trade had in a great measure been destroyed formed an insuperable obstacle to union charles had plenty of alternatives for spain france and portugal were approaching him with rival offers in september sixteen sixty he let the spaniards understand that his alliance was merely a question of price they offered him whatever money he might want but they demanded that jamaica and dunkirk should be restored to them the proposal was at once refused and the plan for charles's marriage with the second daughter of philip the fourth being rejected by that monarch the negotiations were broken off with far greater satisfaction charles turned to france he was the son of a french princess and he had received great kindness from his cousin louis an alliance between the two crowns was from the dynastic and personal point of view obviously a natural one on louis's side considerations of statecraft pointed in the same direction at the peace of the pyrenees the french king had bound himself to give no aid to portugal then in rebellion against spain 
and he had acceded to the condition that that country should not be included in the treaty openly the promise was kept secretly it was systematically broken but louis now saw the means of supplying indirectly from england more effective help for many years the course of events had in general led to friendliness between portugal and england and a formal renewal of the alliance had been long under consideration in september of sixteen sixty a marriage was proposed between charles and the infanta catherine portugal offered as dowry the cession of tangier and bombay freedom of commerce in brazil and the east indies perfect religious liberty for english subjects in all portuguese territories and a sum of five hundred thousand pounds charles was in return to assist portugal with three thousand men and one thousand horses and to put eight frigates at her disposal to hinder this marriage spain had recourse to every device of intrigue and menace louis in turn spared no pains to accomplish a match by which without formally violating his engagements his old enemy could be so weakened the result was a signal victory of french influence the english privy council unanimously approved the marriage and the contract was signed on june twenty third sixteen sixty one in a speech couched in terms of studied insult to spain charles communicated his intention to the newly elected parliament and there too it was received with acclamation to enable him to carry out the terms of the contract louis sent charles a sum of eighty thousand pounds ten english men-of-war with three thousand men from the scotch garrison sailed to the portuguese coast even as early as january sixteen sixty two it was noticed that english protestant congregations had been established in lisbon two other marriages of importance took place in the royal family that between james and clarendon's daughter anne hyde had been secretly celebrated before the restoration it was now publicly acknowledged the personal connection with france was still more firmly cemented by the union of charles's favourite sister henrietta renowned for beauty wit and ability and intrigue and possessing great influence over charles himself with louis's younger brother the duke of anjou who afterwards became the duke of orleans by the portuguese marriage louis had made the first step in securing a hold on charles and thereby on english affairs but on the other hand it was by the vast commercial advantages it secured to england and from the aggressive alliance which it carried with it against the chief papal power of the world entirely consonant with the cromwellian policy of making us in dryden's magnificent phrase freemen of the continent very different was a step which emphatically marked the policy of isolation henceforth pursued and which formed another aid to the realization of french ambition as late as the summer of sixteen sixty one clarendon had urged upon the commons the necessity of maintaining dunkirk and the danger of its ever again being in hostile hands and parliament had proposed its perpetual annexation to the crown the expense incurred for the defence of portugal however the king's desire to be independent of parliament the absence of any wish for continental influence and the connection with france all contributed to suggest the advisability of raising money by the sale of the town to that power strong arguments were easily forthcoming 
it cost a hundred and twenty thousand pounds a year it brought no trade it had a dangerous harbour and its defence from the land side was extremely difficult on the other hand if it fell into an enemy's power it could easily be blockaded by england from the sea the cost of the maintenance of tangier jamaica and bombay and the probability of war with either france or spain if it were retained were dwelt upon clarendon at length gave way after some haggling the price was fixed at two hundred thousand pounds less than the cost of two years maintenance and in november sixteen sixty two to the great scandal of the protestant powers but with scarcely a dissentient in the privy council and without a murmur in parliament dunkirk was handed over to the french it was understood that the money was to be used not for the ordinary occasions of the crown but only for pressing accidents such as the quelling of an insurrection charles looked to it to provide himself with an army End of section eleven